listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. And so now, Jesus, we ask you to be exalted here in this room, and would you do a work here in our lives and in this city, in this region, in our nation and around our world, one life at a time, one life that is changed and transformed by the power of the gospel. And we look at the life of one leper whose life was changed forever on a day that he didn't even expect this would ever happen to him. And because of that, his name continues as a reminder to us of your touch and what your touch can do. And would you set people free today? Would you bring healing and hope and help to whatever it is that we are facing, to our city, to this region, to this world, God. We pray for those in Louisiana right now, the chaos that is going on there, and we think of around the world, there is one name that brings peace, and he is the Prince of Peace. His name is Jesus. We worship you, and we ask you to work here in power in, in, in my life today, in the lives of each one here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5 verse 12, it says, while he was in one of the cities, talking about Jesus, there came a man full of leprosy. If you have your Bibles open, you have a pen, or you're taking notes, I encourage you to be taking notes as we go through this, underline the word full. Because Jesus, we see here, is our only hope. And here is a man, it says a leper comes to Jesus and it says he is full of leprosy. That means that the disease has run its course in this individual. It is not yet taken his life, but that is the, the ultimate end here that would take place. This leper meant that it, his life was one of suffering. He had been going through it for years, possibly even decades. That's how long leprosy would take a slow and a painful death. All medical possibilities have been exhausted for this man, and now he was completely without hope, living in loneliness, in isolation, away from his family, his friends. He was living outside the city. You see, leprosy in those days, even today, is a contagious disease that usually begins with a rash on the face and spreads all over the body, resulting in spongy, tumorous swellings, followed by open sores that cause serious defiguration, even eventually affecting the eternal organs. I'd show you pictures here, but I don't want you to get um, sick to your stomach while you're sitting in such comfortable seats. And uh, it's devastating. In more recent years, as they have, have, have found the cure for it and treatment in that, which is usually a 20 to 24-month treatment to cure leprosy in these days. But in those days, it was believed to be an external disease. And, but now in more recent decades, they have found that it's actually a nerve disease and it attacks the nerves of the body, acting like an anesthetic, meaning that it destroys a person's ability to touch and to feel. They lose all sense of touch. And this disease would bring a numbness to their, 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 their face, to their ears, to their fingers, to their toes, and eventually they would lose all of those, even in some cases their eyes. 
A person with leprosy would be unable to tell that the water that they're washing their face in is either freezing cold, lukewarm, or scalding hot. And so they would wash their face not knowing if it's cold, hot, or, or, or lukewarm. They'd have no idea. They'd have no idea if they were stepping on, on sharp objects such as sharp stones or glass or, or, or anything of it, or nails of, of any sort. All they would eventually see is maybe a trail of blood or a, a pool of blood that has been caused because they have no sense of feeling in it but they see the infections then that starts to set in from this. It's devastating. It's a terrible disease. And thankfully today, leprosy is curable, and yet there are still hundreds of thousands of new cases reported every year, mainly in areas in Asia and Africa, even Brazil, where, where um, in, in more remote areas. But in Bible times, there was no cure. Today, there are cures, there are treatments, but in Bible times, it was a diagnosis. If you were diagnosed with leprosy, it would mean a slow and a painful death, resulting in 10 to 30 to even 40 years of suffering. If you look in your Bibles to Leviticus 13, I'm going to be giving you passages that are going to appear on the screen. You can write them down. You can study it further this week. I mean, some fantastic study in the Word of God. Encourage you to, uh, to, to follow up the message even today by studying these passages. But in Leviticus 13, we see what is to happen to someone who is found to have leprosy. And in verse 45 of, of Leviticus 13, it says, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. That's so he, would be, he or she would be identifiable as someone with leprosy. They shall cover his upper lip, meaning like put a cloth over there to, so that they wouldn't be able to breathe out their germs, and cover their upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. And it says, he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. As long as he has the disease, he is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. How humiliating. Being ostracized from family, from friends. Whenever you see someone, you would have to yell out by order of the law, I'm unclean, unclean, unclean. And usually, their livelihood would resort to that of begging for financial means, and they were to live outside the city. Even if they had financial means, their family could, could help and support them, but they still were ostracized, and they would oftentimes even then live in colonies with other lepers. By Jesus' time here, in, in, around the writing, uh, well, depicting here what is taking place in the, in the book of Luke, in Jesus' time, rabbinical teaching had taken steps even further in dealing with someone with leprosy. The leper would have to, even if they stuck their head inside of a building like this or within a house, that house would be, would be declared unclean and would have to go through all kinds of cleansing and given time and, and evacuation in order to make sure that that disease isn't spread into that house or to anyone there. It was even became illegal to greet a leper. People would keep rocks in their pockets to throw in case a leper got too close to them and they got fearful that they could breathe on them or they could catch their germs that they would actually pick up stones and throw and get away, get away, you leper, and get them out of their, uh, out of their way. There was even more rules and laws. Josephus, one of the church historians that wrote, he says that lepers were basically treated like they were already dead. They were basically considered dead men walking, dead women walking. To the rabbis, the cure for a leper was as difficult as raising the dead. Impossible. Who could ever do that? The man in this story, his life was ruined. 
His life was ruined. He knew that Jesus, though, was his only hope. This disease had run its course. He would have no doubt exhausted all other earthly means. He was desperate. He had no hope. And apart from a touch from Jesus, he would die hopeless. But you know what, folks? Leprosy is actually a picture, an illustration to us of the infection of sin that we all have. We've all been stricken with the infection, with the disease of sin. It's invaded every part of our lives. Just last night I had two twin nieces that were born and we got pictures sent to us through text messages and now it's on social media of these sweet little girls. But you know what? They are born into sin. They are born with a sinful nature. No matter how cute they are and how wonderful, we've all been infected with the disease of sin. We are born into it and it's the state that we naturally live. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says that we are dead in our trespasses and our sin. The condition of sin is upon every one of us, and that means because of that we are separated from God and we have to live outside the camp. We have to live outside of relationship with God because we are infected with sin. And the only cure for this man and the only cure for our sin is Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. He is the, the only cure that we have. 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful, He is just, He will forgive us our sins, and what will He do? Cleanse us. As the leper is cleansed, we can be cleansed. And, the, and as the leper is cleansed in this story today, we too can be cleansed. And today, what we are seeing, what took place this morning in Louisiana, what is taking place in France, what is taking place around the world in all of this, we are seeing sin running its full course. And you think, could it get any worse? Yes, it can. And it probably will until Christ returns. And then it all changes. And yet we see this here that, that this disease had run its course just as sin is running its course, destroying lives, families, marriages, society. All the brokenness I described that earlier this morning of what's taken place in our world, it's all a result of sin. It's ugly. It's devastating. And yet, apart from a touch from Jesus, he is the only one who can bring hope. And so what did the leper do? He understood that Jesus was his only hope. And so what did he do next? In desperation and humility, he ran to Jesus. And that's what we do. In desperation and humility, we run to Jesus. Verse 12, last part, it says, And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He goes to Jesus. He was desperate. He broke all social taboos and laws and restrictions. He didn't care. He didn't care if he showed up because he knew that Jesus was his only hope. And he didn't care any longer. He, the pride, whatever, and, and just even the desire to even stay away from, from that kind of a situation, he didn't care. He had to get to Jesus. He knew he was unclean. He knew he was completely hopeless in his state. And therefore, it put him in a perfect posture to receive the gift of grace. You see, Jesus doesn't come to the self-sufficient Jesus doesn't come to the person who thinks, well, they're pretty good, or he's a lot better than that person. You know, I'm, I'm not that bad. Jesus doesn't come to people like that. 
Jesus doesn't come to someone who treats him just like an app on their phone. You know, just a a good app to have. You know, like, I mean, just in case you never know what's going to happen. And so, you know, he's like a good insurance policy to have in case, you know, life gets a little difficult. It's good to have one foot in the door of the church or one foot in the door of a relationship with Jesus Christ, whatever that might look like, just because you never know what could be happening. And so we download the Jesus app in our lives and we think, but then all of a sudden the Pokemon app comes along like, whoa, and we get distracted by, by something else. We get distracted by this, by riches, by wealth, by fame, by all of these different things that can go on in our lives, and we become distracted in in these kind of things. Jesus doesn't come to the person who is partially there, who is self-sufficient. He comes to the ones who are empty. He comes to those in desperation, are running to him in humility. You see, this is where the gospel even today, could offend some of you. You see, the gospel can be very offensive because we have a hard time sitting here, middle-class, Kelowna kind of people, middle-class Canadians, middle, upper-class, lower-class, I don't know where you want to fit yourself in that thing, but we have a hard time accepting that we're not acceptable. We're basically good people. You know, just trying to do our best and, you know, leaning on Jesus Or sometimes we might even be so arrogant to think that Jesus is kind of lucky to have me on his team. My giftings, my abilities, my money, my, you know, just my get up and go, my willingness to serve his church or to do whatever, you know, he's like, he's got a pretty good package in me. We can be tempted to think along those lines. Yesterday, last night, I don't know if any of you have been watching the Calgary Stampede on TV. We've been kind of mesmerized by just how much rain they've received and the sludge and the mess that they're doing. And I saw this young little, little, I think he was a bull rider. He's probably 12 or 13, just this young kid. And he just did this amazing, amazing run on this bull. And he got off and and, and he was all pumped and excited. And next thing you know, he's kind of like going this and he's, you know, doing this to the crowd. and, and, And you just see like the pride and just excitement but it's also, and then on the back it said something, Cowboys for Christ. I was like, oh. And I went on his Facebook even, I thought, oh, should I send him a message and just tell him, listen, Cowboys for Christ aren't arrogant. Cowboys for Christ, yes, be excited, be happy, but, but, but you could just see kind of the, the there's nothing wrong with being joy-filled and happy in that, but, but, but when we lean into arrogancy, Christ that, that has nothing to, that's inconsistent with the life of a Christian. We seek to be humble people who are seeking him, thankful, grateful, rejoicing in all his blessing, but giving it all to him, knowing that it's all because of him. It's nothing in, in my hand I bring, nothing that I can do, none of my qualifications, none of my, whether you have looks or a great body or whatever it might be, it's nothing. It's nothing. We come empty, we come desperate, we come as people who are hurting. And when we do that, we receive a touch from him. Jesus comes to those who recognize they are empty in spirit. He comes to those who see themselves as devastated without Christ. In a sense, we too are dead men walking. We're dead women walking. We're dead teenagers walking. And so that's who Jesus comes to. But you know, You might be sitting here today and you might be thinking, I'm beyond the touch of Jesus. I'm beyond his grace. I'm beyond his mercy. After what I've done over and over and over again, I'm such a failure. I'm such a fake. 
There's no way that God could ever love me or truly forgive me. I'd love it if he would, but I don't think he could. I don't think he would have gone too far. Maybe it's something in your past that is, is there and it's hidden. Maybe it's not even so hidden anymore and, and you just realize I'm done, I'm over. I'm just going to kind of go through the existence just like a leper. I'm just going to live in this spiritual isolation, not sensing any power or presence from God, being out of relationship even with other people, feeling estranged because of the sin that continues to keep haunting you and reminding you and, you're not be, and you think there's no way I could ever be free from this. There's no way I could ever be forgiven. A good number of years ago when we were pastoring in Alberta, I met a young man by the name of Terry who just started attending our church. I met together with him and he was talking about getting involved in some areas in our church. And, but yet in our conversation, he kind of broke down and he says, but Melvin, he says, for me, there is no hope. You see, he was convinced that he was beyond the grace of God. He believed that when he was a little younger in his early teenage years that he had committed the unpardonable sin as described in Mark chapter 3 and, and, and Matthew 12, which is blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. He said, Melden, I did that. I did that over and over. You see, what had happened in his life when he was just, just uh, early, uh, teen, in his early teen years, he and his mother got into a huge argument huge fight. She got angry, decided to cool off. She jumped in the car, drove out onto the highway, and was killed in a car accident. And he was left without his mother feeling completely responsible for her death because of that fight that they had had. And he said, I knew enough about God at that time and was so angry at him, I cussed and cursed him out of my life, and I knew what blasphemy against the Holy Spirit was, and I did it. And I did it with intensity. I did it with anger. And he blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. And he says, so from what I understand, God won't forgive me for that. He loved Jesus. He was sorry that he did that. But he believed he went too far and was without hope. He would be outside the camp. He would be like the leper for the rest of his life. Feeling on the inside, unclean, unclean. The wearing a smile and having lots of energy on the outside, knowing on the inside he was unclean, unclean. We spent some time together and I was able to share with him the truths from God's word, how the unpardonable sin is committed by people who have so hardened their hearts towards God that they have so seared their conscience towards him. They have no qualms about their rebellion. There's no remorse. There's no repentance. And they have no desire to even seek the forgiveness of God. That is somebody who has committed the unpardonable sin. But that clearly wasn't Terry's case. He was repentant. And folks, listen up. All of us have offended a perfectly holy God. Not one of us in this room is beyond the grace of God. No matter what you have done, we've all offended, and to what degree, it doesn't matter. There is no sin that the grace of God is not deeper than. And some of you need to hear that today. Because some of you are battling with, with those kind of guilt feelings and convictions and thinking I'm too bad. You are not too bad for the grace of God when you come like the leper came to Jesus. And whoever seeks God's forgiveness and humility and brokenness before God, no matter how great the sin, no matter what you've done, you can be assured of God's grace and his mercy and be taken from outside the camp and brought into the camp, into relationship with God Almighty. That he would be your God that we were singing about here 
this morning. Not just a God that you're singing about, but that you can know this God in a personal and a real way. Acts 2, Romans, 12, Romans 10, tell us that all who call on the name of the Lord might be saved. No, will be saved when we come with desperation and humility in the way that we see here in this story. There's no unpardonable sin for those who cast themselves on the mercy of God through the work of Jesus Christ. It was beautiful. It was amazing to watch the life of Terry change as he saw that the forgiveness and the grace of God was for him. He ended up coming on staff part-time in our church working with, with our youth and touched the lives of, of many young people in our community. A number of years later, he got married and he moved to eastern Canada and we are so sad to see him go. Kept in contact with him basically through Facebook and we get updates on his life and what was going on. And then four years ago, at a point of discouragement in my own life, God used Terry to point me in a certain direction. Terry told me about Harvest Bible Chapel. I'd never heard about Harvest Bible Chapel. And probably the vast majority of you people four years ago at this time had never heard of Harvest Bible Chapel. But he introduced me to the church that he was in, attending in Ontario. And today, there's a Harvest Bible Chapel here in Kelowna, but for the grace of God, being used through a person who thought his life was over and hopeless, pointing a discouraged pastor who was out of the ministry towards a church and a, or a, a fellowship of churches that is changing the world through the proclamation of the word of God, lifting high the name of Jesus in worship, believing firmly in the power of prayer, and boldly we're going to share this good news. And because of someone who thought his life was done, spiritually, God is using him in a mighty way out west. And to see people come to know Jesus Christ even today. That is the kind of God that we have that can take us who think we're washed up, useless, sinful, on the shelf, dried up, pruned up, whatever we might be, and to be used for his honor, for his glory, to build his kingdom here on this earth. So we come to Jesus in desperation and humility like this leper did. And look at this prayer that he has in verse 13. He says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. This is how every genuine believer in Christ comes to Christ. You come to him initially this way, and we continue to keep coming to him in this way, in humility and in desperation and in brokenness. Realizing our desperate need for Christ. Recognizing the need for Christ daily, more and more in our lives. The Apostle Paul, I mean, he continued even though, I mean, here's a guy planting churches, healing people, amazing things happening in and through his life and ministry. But in Romans 7, he's a man who's still saying, oh, wretched man that I am. He's basically saying, oh, leprous man that I am. Who can deliver me from this body of sin? But he comes back in humility and desperation. But thanks be to God. That's how we continue. We initially come to Christ at salvation in this way and we continually 
come to him in humility and in desperation. And this week, I told you already, this week watching our world, seeing the devastation, seeing my own sinful, wandering heart, reading in Matthew 24 this, this past week that in the end times we're going to see an increase of wickedness. Uh-huh, uh-huh, think we're seeing that? But then what does it go on to say? And the hearts of many will grow cold. That many believers' hearts, instead of getting more on fire, we get distracted, we, we think we're good, good enough, we kind of got enough of the Jesus app in our life to keep on going, but we get distracted and our hearts for him grow cold. And this week again, I'm calling out to Jesus, Jesus, I need you, I need you, I'm coming in desperation, I cannot do this, I cannot lead a family, lead a church, be a part of the work of God, be, be a child of God without a touch from Jesus in my life. So we come in desperation, willing to do whatever it takes to come clean. Maybe it's coming clean about your past. Maybe it's coming clean about to, towards those that you've wronged and you need to humble yourself and you need to ask God to forgive you. Maybe it's getting help. You think, oh, I've got this. I can do this on my own. No, there are many different areas. We come to Jesus for forgiveness. We come to him in repentance. But he's also given us the body of Christ to walk with us and to help us and to hold us accountable and, and to, to give godly advice and, and, and counsel in our lives. And look what happens to the leper. Look what happens. This is exciting. Number three, we see the touch of Jesus is immediate and effective. Verse 13, and Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will. Clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Now, now when, when I get to heaven, I'm, I'm going to go to the video library. There's going to be some stuff I'm going to go to the video library on and I'm and, and going to check this out. I mean, this would be a cool miracle to see because here is a person disfigured, missing, missing uh, fingers and toes. Oftentimes their face resembled that of a lion because of the swelling and everything like that. And to see within the moment's touch this leprous man have skin like a baby and to be completely healed from head to toe, fingers growing back, toes coming, everything straightening out, his face a beautiful, glorious baby backside kind of uh, complexion. I mean, beautiful. I mean, here it is. This disfigured man was made whole by one touch from Jesus. And the touch upon Jesus' life of the one who truly seeks him and runs to him, the touch of Jesus upon your life is instant and it is immediate and it is complete. We are complete in him. It's not like, oh yeah, I'll think about it. You know, I'll take it to, to the Trinity and we'll talk about it, you know, and we'll, we'll see, you know, if, if you're in or not, if we're going to free. No. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When we confess our sins, he is faithful, he is just, he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us immediately. There's no waiting. There's no like, well, we'll see if you kind of live this out. You know, jury's out still. No. When Jesus, now, now, now take a look at this. This is just amazing what took place. 1 John 1.7 says the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. And how was it applied to the leper? It was applied through the touch of Christ. This is an incredible picture of the gospel. This man had not been touched by another human being for years. And even if he was touched perhaps by another leper, he wouldn't have felt it. He had no feeling. And the first touch that he would experience upon his body 
The first meaningful touch in perhaps decades was the touch of Jesus. Now, when Jesus touched the leper, he contracted the leper's defilement. You see, if you were to touch a leper, you yourself would become unclean and would have to go through ceremonial rites and and regulations. You would be quarantined for seven days. You would be then checked, quarantined if they had any concerns or different things like that. And you would show yourself to the priest. Jesus touched the leper and he became defiled. You're not supposed to do that. You don't touch a leper. Jesus became unclean so the leper could be cleansed. That's the gospel. That's the atoning work of Christ. His pure hand on the rotting leper touched him, changed him, transformed him. Jesus God in the flesh, as you read about that when you read through the Gospels and especially in the book of Luke, Jesus, God in the flesh, became sin for us. He became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God, so we might be cleansed. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become His righteousness. What an exchange. That is what he did for us on the cross. 1 Peter 3.18, it says, But Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Jesus became sin before us, for on our behalf. Remember that old hymn, The Vilest Offender, who truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. Colossians 1 verse 13 says, We've been rescued from the dominion of darkness, and we've been transformed or transferred into the kingdom of the Son. God. And look at the response. Finally, here of the leper, we see the response. It's grateful obedience to the word. And it says in verse 14, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priests and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. Jesus is telling him, he's telling this man, he says, you've been healed, but now what you need to do is you need to obey the word of God. You need to obey the Bible. Go show yourself to the priest. Leviticus 14. Again, incredible read, very interesting. Encourage you to read that. I'll give you just a brief summary. Leviticus 14 describes a very elaborate ceremony that was to take place when in the rare occurrence that someone was healed from leprosy. It was an eight-day celebration. It was an eight-day ceremony that involved incredible rites and, and, and cleansings and sacrifices and bur- involving some, some yarn, some birds, a bowl of water, some, some wood. Now, I hope I'm catching your interest. You're going to go read this. I mean, it's, it, it's incredible, the detail of what's going on. But all of this, and you see the other ceremonies, you see the other sacrifices in the book of Leviticus are all a foreshadowing to Christ. They didn't have Christ back then. But it was a foreshadowing to what Christ would do. And so we see this beautiful picture, this illustration of the work that Christ would one day do and what he's done for us. So we don't have to deal with birds or goats or sheep or anything like that. That Jesus became the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so you see this ceremony, this cleansing that that would take place. And ultimately, as I was reading about this this week, this was a party. This was a celebration. For the family to come together, to celebrate, to be reunited with this one who was once considered dead, an outcast, 
out of society, out of their lives, and now he's been brought back in. And there's all of these different ceremonies and different things that take place. This was a joyous event. I once was lost. I once was unclean, hopeless, and now I'm found, I'm healed, I'm cleansed. On the eighth day, there would be three more sacrifices that would take place. And then this is where it gets a little interesting, but again, sends a powerful message. The priest would then take some blood and dip it on the former leper, on the, on the cleansed child of God's ear. He would put it on his hands and he would put it on his feet. He would take and put some blood from an animal on him in this way, on his ear, on his thumb, and his toe. Then he would take some oil and apply some oil to those exact same places. And then he would take and pour oil over the former leper's head, allowing it to flow over his body. The blood is a symbol of the work of Christ. The oil that was used is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, that he's been saved through the power of Christ and is going to now live his life as a declaration in the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that just amazing symbolism and a picture of what Christ has done for us and how we are to live our lives? And that the ear, meaning that he is going to listen, he's committing himself to listen to the voice of God. His hands are going to be used for the glory of God and his feet are going to walk in God's ways for the rest of his life. The leper's obedience to the word of God would be a further demonstration that the healing had taken place. He has a story to tell. Today I wonder, have you experienced the touch of Jesus in this way in your life? Have you come to the point in your life where you have been like the leper in understanding that Jesus is your only hope? That there, even though you've lived, you've tried to live a good life, it has fallen short of God's standard. Have you come to the point where you're like this man in the spiritual sense? You've come in this desperation, realizing Jesus is the hope. Have you fallen on, on your face before Jesus, the only one who can heal? In humility, have you asked him to forgive you and to cleanse you? Yes, Jesus could heal physical diseases. I mean, he healed everyone. He healed, you see through the, the gospel of Luke and the other gospels, the healings that he did. But those were, were simply an evidence that, that he, of who he was. But they pointed in a greater way that, that the healing that he can bring to us internally, from the inside out. That he cleanses us from sin. He transforms us from the inside out. And so we come to Jesus initially like this and we continue to come to him like this as our only source of strength and power in our lives. And when Jesus has touched our lives in this way, we live lives of obedience. We live lives to his glory, not to ours. We look to see how we can serve him. We don't serve, well, I guess I should serve out of, you know, just because, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to and I'm kind of guilted into it. No, obedience to the word of God becomes a joy. And one of the first, one of the, the initial steps is baptism. Again, a symbol, a ceremony, a celebration of the work that has already happened. And if you are a believer in Christ and you haven't been baptized, you're living in disobedience and you should get baptized if you are wanting to live in obedience to Jesus Christ. 
And if you haven't been, would love to talk to you further. You can fill out a card. You can send an email. You can talk to me or to Shayon after the service. That's just one of the steps. I mean, it's a life of continual obedience. It continues for the rest of our lives. Obedience to God's word, pursuing Christ, growing in holiness, seeking his affections. Not just a bunch of doing and doing and giving and this and that. I mean, that's part of it. But it's seeking the fruits of the spirit that we'd be growing in love and joy and peace. It means that we are forgiving people, not bitter, holding on to kind of people. It means we're real people, admitting we're real people who are all really messed up as you all are. Because you know what? So am I. But we have found the real Jesus. And he will change and, and he will transform us as we walk together in community as brothers and sisters. Where are you at today? That is the question. We're all at different places in our lives with the Lord. Maybe some of you are still out, outside the camp. Maybe you've come into the camp, you've given your heart to Jesus Christ, but there's a cleansing that needs to happen. You've been running your own show. You've been doing your own thing. You've been living kind of a shadow of Christianity, of holiness, but, but on the inside, there's a lot of disastrous things. Remember God's word. That it's a calling that our hearts become hard to his call. And today, perhaps, is a day where God is, is breaking down the hardness in your heart and you need to run to Jesus. You need to, to run to his feet. And ask everyone to bow their heads at this time.